This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. It's Voice of Change time with myself, Lauren Jacobs, and we are kicking off the month of March. Yes, I know that we are a few days into March already, but we are kicking off the month of March because it is one of my favorite months of the year. The reason for that is that it is Women's Month internationally, but more specifically, we celebrate the International Day of Women on the 8th of March, which it's taking place next week. And then we also consider the contributions of women to history by celebrating this as Women's History Month. Now, you may be thinking this is a whole month dedicated to women's history. That is quite interesting, and you would be correct in saying that that is so interesting because when we look at history, we know that there are so many unsung heroines throughout the history, not only of the world, but of our nation. You know, the nation of South Africa has really, really been birthed from so many women. We think, when we think historically of women, we think of the 9th of August, 1956, when 20,000 women marched, you know, to the Union buildings, and we commemorate that day every single year in honor of what they did but not only them there were other women throughout our history that have made huge impacts in our nation and in our society and today i want us to celebrate together this incredible reality of women's history and what women have done and how they've contributed by celebrating the life and really honoring and getting deep in to the life of someone that we know that we appreciate and someone that i truly believe has for many years been in their own country and unsung heroine and that is our beloved Emily Hobhouse. Now, Emily Hobhouse has been an unsung heroine in England, where she was from for many, many years. Thankfully, that is changing with the Emily Hobhouse Museum that's, you know, taking place and it's going to be opening in the next while. And that is really special because it is really going to be this museum dedicated to her memory and the works that she did here, particularly in South Africa, even though that museum is going to be in her hometown in England. So that's incredibly special and I've invited author and writer Elsa B. Brits onto my show today. She has written an incredible book called Emily Hobhouse, Beloved Traitor and the book is all about Emily and her story and the depth of her story and Elsa B. who wrote the book really went on her own journey and found things that had never been seen before by people that were written by Emily and she really went deep into her life. No one is more passionate about Emily Hobhouse. I'm leave or that I've met yet then Elsa B. Brits and so she's with me on the show we're going to unpack Emily's story and also you know what her story teaches us and also I think such an important reality as our world right now is in this grip of watching war unfold and watching you know how war impacts people we know that the people who are most affected by war are often women and children and so too that was the reality that Emily came to South Africa seen and what she saw what she witnessed was very very powerful what you know led her life 
and maybe you and your family have actually been directly impacted by Emily Hobhouse and and I would love to hear that from you as well it is just this story that we look at and we see this woman who came into a war situation she traveled into war to behold what was happening and I think it speaks volumes as to how war affects women today even still and we see it happening all over our world today from Syria to Ukraine to other nations that are continuing in the group of war like Central Africa, Congo. We see this happening on a daily basis. So Elsa B joins me to chat about Emily Hobhouse and to talk about her significant contribution as well as what we need to consider when war is taking place and how it affects women. It's all happening on Voice of Change with me, Lauren Jacobs. Stay tuned. Also, B, this is a real treat to have you with me as we are just starting to celebrate and honor Women's History Month, but also more specifically today, honoring, you know, a specific woman's contribution, not only to our world, but also, you know, to South Africa, to the women of South Africa, and also particularly to, I think, a lot of people in South Africa remember our heroine that that we're going to talk about today. But before I get into that, I'm just getting super excited i want to welcome you to the show and hope that you're having a good day today i'm having a very good day thank you lauren now we are going to be touch focusing on someone that i think is quite incredible emily hobhouse and before we get really into her life i'd love to know you know a bit about how you came to know about emily hobhouse and you know How did that happen for you? Was it someone that you just got interested in and then decided, I'm going on this journey? Was it really like an amazing moment for you? Well, it was uh, was in 2013 um, and it was... There was a little bit of awareness about her during that year, and I managed to find a, a book that was written in, I think, the 70s about her in a second-hand bookshop in Prince Albert. And I read the book, and I thought, oh, there's something more about her. But 2013 um, was a, a hundred years after she made that incredible speech um, during the opening of the Women's Monument in, in Bloemfontein, mm. which is actually also a, a, a very unique uh, monument which we should celebrate because it's the first monument in the world ever which honors um, women and children who who died during the war instead of, of the men. Mm. Wow, and exactly like you're saying, the first of its kind. We think today, when we think about war, we think, you know, about somewhere like Syria, and we hear yes. what's happening all the time with women there, and, you know, abductions yes. and the children. And I wonder if, you know, in years to come, there will be something established for them, you know, in their honor of what they've been going through. And that's kind of what we have here right in South Africa when we think about the National Women's Monument in Bloemfontein. It's so incredible. And now, so you came to this knowledge of Emily. Now, if someone had to say to you, okay, Emily Hobhouse, I've heard the name, you know, you know, roundabout, but who exactly was she? How would you sum her up if just a stranger, even someone who's listening today maybe says, you know, I've heard her name, but there's a lot of myth about her. Who was she, you know? Well, Emily Hobhouse was an English woman um, who was born in, in Cornwall in 1860. And um, she, when the war broke out in South Africa, the South African War, also known as the Anglo-Boer War, 
she started a, a committee uh, against the war. And um, the, the one of the myths about Emily, um, which was um, perpetuated during nationalism in this country, was that she was on the side of the of the Boers. She wasn't. She was anti-war, which is a big difference. She was a, a pacifist, and she she the war broke out, and she decided she's going to start a fund which was very popular those days, and you subscribe to the fund and you get newsletters and you, you support a cause. And what she wanted to do was come out here and support um, the women and the children in in, um, in the camps. However, due to martial law and censorship, uh, little was known about the, the concentration camp. She also only heard about the scorched earth, but she, she knew there were, there were people in distress. It's with the emphasis on the women and the children. You know, she was one of the the early feminists and um, pacifists um, completely against war. And you, you mentioned Syria, you mentioned, we can look at every other war, the First World War, the Second World War, Vietnam, we can look at violence today, we, any, any kind of conflict. It's the women, the children that bears the brunt of the war. And that was also the title of her, her first book in, in 1902, um, the brunt of the war, and um, it it, it re- gets repeated over and over and over. And the focus of her, what she was going to do in this country, was alleviate the suffering of of those who are actually have nothing to do with the war, what, but with the brunt of it. Mm. Sure, thank you. You know, I love the way that you summarize that and actually put it into perspective for us. Being anti-war is very, very different, like you said, from just taking a side, being yes. on this side or just taking, you know, another side. And I think that, that that is a big thing that we need to understand. And then going back, starting a little bit at the beginning, because... You know, I often find that when we think about history and figures from history, be it men or women, we think about these people as these incredible heroines or heroes or icons that just, oh, they just, you know, came and she just helped and that was how it was, you know. But we think of them for those glory moments or the the way we want to remember them. But actually their life starts out very differently. And for Emily, her life also started out from a young age. She was just really had this desire for more and her education was a big thing for her but also her lack of education which her family gave her tell us a bit about her formative years what was really in her heart what did you you know begin to witness as you were researching her life reading her diaries that other people hadn't seen you know what were those formative years life of life like for her because it wasn't just that she knew immediately when she was younger this is what I'm going to do and I'm going full ball like we often think about people who do big things in life and we celebrate them we think oh they just knew you know they were just like that from when they were young tell us about her young years and what was happening in her life that formed who she really became Yes, one of the, one of the important things we need to um, um, always have in the back of our mind with regards to history is that we need to see it in the context of the time. So Emily was brought up um, slab bang in the middle of the Victorian era. Uh, the Victorians, uh, were, you know, dominated the world at that time, but it was very, very um, unlikely for a woman of her standing. They were they were um, f- uh, what they called of the landed gentry. They were fairly well off to, first of all, travel alone and to do what she did. And um, women that time were um, either supposed to um, 
work in the industrial era in the in the workhouses if they were poor or from Emily's standing um, from her, both sides of her family she was supposed to sit do needlework sing songs mm. and you know um, order maids around so it was very very unlikely for a woman of her, of, of her time to decide I'm going to do something it was actually frowned upon mm. but as a young child um Women only in 1870 education became um, compulsory um, for, in primary school for for all children in England. But Emily, um, her brothers went to formal school and then they went on to Oxford to get degrees, and she yearned to do that. But I mean, it wasn't even for her who had money um, to be to go to university. Mm. You know, we take it for granted. We take it for granted that. Yeah that all women today can go to university, that you even can have property. You know, women weren't allowed to have mm. property. They barely had, at, at that time, could open a bank account with a, a mail as a co-signature. They didn't have the vote. Um, it, it only came in, in 1918 or 1920 after, after the First World War, pressured mm. the government to do that. So Emily yearned for more. She was so frustrated by the governors who educated her and her, her three sisters at home. It wasn't enough for her, so she did a lot of self-educating um, by reading at home. And then she was left with um, her sisters being married off. Um, she was the youngest sister, um, or a maud, as your second youngest sister, and then she had to look after her father, which often, often happened. Mm. And um, then she went on this journey to America, it's a long drawn out story, but um, she went to see the world and then the war broke out. And I think she, I mean, if if you even look at how England looks, um, the, you know, the geom, uh, the geology and uh, the, the landscape. And yes, she suddenly found herself in Cape Town. Hmm. And when she arrived, she hears, oh, there are concentration camps. And then she takes a train from Cape Town to, to Bloemfontein and it's during war. Um, she had to get a military pass for that. And then she drives through the Karoo. I mean, the shock of even of mm. even the the weather and everything being different. And it takes her five days, and she's the only female on a train with 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 soldiers. Um, just that mm. journey must have been um, com a complete shock to her system, and yet she 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 persevered. Mm. Sure. And I'm thinking, you know, it, it, she was roughly around about the age of 40, wasn't yeah. she, when she arrived here? So that's what they were, they had considered. I mean, these days we always say 60 is the new 40, right? It's like yeah. things are changing. We're looking at this changing world. But like you're saying to us, we look at history and always in a context, in the context of where it happened, you know, and she's sitting in Victorian England. And yes, she is a 40 year old woman. Like you said, she had already been to America, which you also said to us, you know, that's cutting out a whole part of the story. She went to America. She also did amazing things in the U.S. And mm. then, you know, going back to England and then hearing about this coming to South Africa at the age of 40 and then traveling into a war zone. And like you said, traveling to somewhere where you've never been before. Also, you're an outsider. That must have been quite a big deal. You have, you know, England at war and she is British herself and she's coming to help the people who, you know, it's just quite an intense reality, but also just speaks so much about actually her own heart and her own bravery. It must have taken a lot of courage to have even, you know, come over to South Africa just with a huge conviction and a belief and I think that, you know, being a pacifist and having the strong conviction and belief within her heart, sure that that was the driving force behind what she was doing. But I think it, I think that we can underestimate the 
the emotion and the intensity of what she actually landed in, just like you're saying, just even from a geographical perspective, everything is different. You know, the weather is even different. And the courage that it must have taken to even just come here into that situation before even seeing what was actually really happening, I think that that must have taken quite a lot from her. Yeah, you must remember, so back to the Victorian era, so a woman who is, um, say, even over 23, I would say, and she's unmarried, are seen as the lowest of the low. You're a spinster. Mm-hmm. If you're 40, you, you are completely um, not recognized by society. You're 40 and unmarried. You're called a spinster. Um, you're seen as somebody who is not not worth anything. Her social standing would have, uh, you know, upped her a bit. So she came with letters with, for introduction. So she walks um, into the Bloemfontein concentration camp. There are 2,000 um, women and children there, a few old men on the first day. The, the second tent in which she um, walks into, there's a snake. And, you know, people scream there and away, and she, she tackles it with her umbrella and she kills it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's she's strong-willed woman and she, she decides she's going to do something. However, Kitchener, who is at that stage um, the commander-in-chief of the British Army in, in the country, refused her um, that she should go anywhere north of Bloemfontein. Yet she managed to do that. She goes um, back to Cape Town, gets more um, permits, and she goes to to camps um, as far as Warrington and, and Mafeking and Kimberley up to the Orange River camp, which is which is north of Bloemfontein. Mm-hmm. And she travels between these camps and she she has she has some money that comes in mainly from England and from and from um, fairly well off people in Cape Town. You know, she's well connected. She mm-hmm. she knows how to connect with people and she um, she distributes clothes and and food. But and she tries to talk to the English camp commanders to improve the conditions in the camps. And she she convinces some others she, she can't. And she she does this for, for four months, mm. and um, four to five months. And in the beginning of May, she sees that this is, is going to end. It's, it, it, she can't change this. She, she'll have to go back mm. to England and convince her countrymen to, to do something. Hmm. And um, that's when she she can't anymore. You know, she's she's psychologically at breaking point, and um, she she returns to England. And while she's on the ship, it takes three weeks between Cape Town and and either Plymouth or Southampton. She she starts writing a report. Mm-hmm. of what she witnessed. And she does this fairly scientifically. While she was in, in, in the camp, she asked the same 10 questions to various people mm-hmm. so that she gets same answers, 10 questions and 10 answers. And she, she hides the identity and she just say Mrs. P or Mrs. B or whatever. And um, as soon as she lands in, in the UK, um, she goes to the Minister of War. She actually gets an appointment, St. John mm-hmm. um, Broderick. And she explains to him what's happening and she gives him solutions. She gives him uh, not only the report, she gives him um, recommendations on what's to be done. But by this time, um, it's in the press and the and the, her country sees her as a traitor. Mm. So it's in, in war, you criticize your own government. Also because in the House of Lords and um, to a large extent in the House of Commons in, in the British Parliament, Questions are being asked by the, the liberals. Mm. 
and they 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 say what what's going on in these scams and they are lies they lie about it the the, the they say, well, there are only 40,000 people, everything in camps, which is not true. There's nearly 300,000 to about mm. 280,000. If you consider uh, the black people in the camps, it's far, far, far more. Mm. And um, they lie about it. And she's giving it an alternative um, a, a, a alternative narrative, which is the truth. And she also supports her, her uh, what she finds there by a, a doctor's report um, from the Bloemfontein camp. So now they're in a predicament. There's this woman, which I call the hysterical woman, um, of course, mm. who tells the world this one's died, and what will they do? They'll obviously say it's it's lies. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, I kind of I kind of feel like we we things are heating up in this conversation here because mm-hmm. it's in, it's incredible to consider exactly what what you're just sharing with us, but also to consider what is actually happening. Going back to went back to England and brought this report, but also like you said, brought this doctor's report. You are revealing exactly what is happening, and this is it's so it's we look at it and it's it's so important. But it, that was also quite a big decision that she made, and I wanted to touch on this reality of what she actually went through when she went back. You know, being so criticised and being labelled a traitor by her by her own country, and I wanted to touch more on that. But we're going to go to a really quick song break. I don't want my listeners to go anywhere because Elsa B is with me and we're talking about Emily Hobhouse and we're sharing about her amazing contribution and also who she was because we're honoring women's history today which is so important for us to do so we want to continue doing that when we get back don't go anywhere enjoy some music and we'll see you after this you're with me, Lauren Jacobs, here on Voice of Change today. Welcome to the show. I hope that you've been with us from the beginning, because if you haven't, you're going to be arriving in the middle of our story today. But you know what? If that is the case, don't worry. You will get in on what we are talking about, because we have been talking about Emily Hobhouse. Now, I know quite a few people who really, really look up to her. And I met a young girl recently, an incredible young girl, who said that her name is Emily, and her mother actually named her after Emily Hobhouse. So again, we are still seeing her, you know, her huge impact over people's lives and what it meant to them. And Elsa B. Brits is with me. And she wrote that incredible book about Emily Hobbs, which we'll touch on a bit later. But now, Elsa B., we are at a point where, you know, Emily is back in, in England telling the story about what is happening in the camps. And we hear, you know, like you said, that she was considered a traitor to her own people and had to now live in this criticism and in this hostility from the British government and just really throwing the curtain open on this is what's happening. I've seen it. I've asked the questions. I've noted what's happening, what's going to happen now and offering these solutions. What happened after that? It couldn't have been easy returning and being in the middle of this. You know, what happened to her? I know that she struggled with her health as well. Well, what was happening to her after that? Yeah, she had wonderful support from her aunt um, and uh, uh, uncle, Lord and Lady um, uh, Mary and Arthur Hophouse. Um, and they supported her as, if, as well as the liberal people in, in the country who thought that the war was unnecessary and also that colonialism expanding the empire was unnecessary. Um, so she, she continued, she endured, she wrote her book, um, her book came out, um, and then a couple of months later, um, the, so in between the time that her report comes out in, in June and um, October, that they sent out the Fawcett Commission, led by Melissa Fawcett, the seven ladies, to come and investigate what she what Emily said was the truth, and we know it was the truth, mm. more people die. 
um, and especially children. Um, and Emily said in that time, she's just she campaigned. She goes forward. She said, please, now I'm not even asking for the, I, I've never asked anything for the men. The men decided to, 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 to fight. I'm not um, asking anything for the for British men or the Boer men. I'm not even pleading for the for the a wife uh, for the wives or the or the women anymore. I'm pleading for the children. The children are dying, and then we have the worst winter in this country for years. Uh, the winter of two th- uh, of of that last um, last um, months of the war of, of mm. two, um, 1902. It even snows um, in some wow. countries parts of the country, you see concentration camp photos with snow. And we have the highest um, death rate of 365 per thousand. Now, wow. You know, even with COVID, we never touch it. it it's mm. a terrible, terrible. And it's mo- mostly children under 16. Mm. Um, in the black camps and in the white camps, the, they die because of measles because of um, malnutrition because of um, exposure and just of especially children five years and under mm-hmm. but they sent the the Fawcett Commission the Fawcett Commission went all over they had permits to go all over and they traveled uh, in luxury and not as easily as Emily did and they basically find exactly the same thing that she did and her, their recommend, recommendations are basically the same mm-hmm. the seven women team finding the same as Emily did, but they never mentioned her. In their report, they didn't mm. invite her to go along. And I mean, that was the ultimate snub for Emily, not to have recommendations or uh, recommendations accepted or even mentioned. And I think that was uh, one of the big reasons why she was basically written out of history mm. in Europe and in, 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 in Britain, because it was never made official. Then they, then, but even after Emily returned, even before the Fawcett Commission, um, was appointed. Some of the camps did improve. They did listen to her. Then they made it official, and by November that year, I mean it became a, a, official. And by February, everything was was better of uh, to, to uh, 1902. But they were still in the camps, and it was mm. still not, not not good. But by that time, so many ha- have died. So we we know um, from the record keeping, which isn't wasn't that great, but mm-hmm. it was better about 27, say 28,000 white women and children between, um, of which 80% were um, children died. Now, now the record keep, keeping for the for, for the black concentration camps, you can mention it like that because they were separated, mm-hmm. um, was done terribly by the British. Mm-hmm. So there were lots of research done during those subsequent years, and they estimated by by between 15 and 25,000 um, black women and children died. Also, mm. 80% of them um, under the age of, of 16. I lean towards, if you look at the con- uh, look at the conditions of the camps and the rations that they were given, to the higher number of mm. maybe 25,000 black women and children also perished in these camps, that we, which we shouldn't forget. So the combined... Mm. Combined figure would be over fifty-five, over fifty thousand black and white women and children, of which eighty percent were under sixteen years old. If you look at the bigger figure mm-hmm. of who died in the war, about about five times more women and children died than men mm-hmm. battling on the fields. Mm-hmm. So this was a as a war of 
of atrocity against women and children. But one must remember that it wasn't deliberate. Um, they didn't mm. put them in a camp for them to die. They just put them in the camps and they never thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed them? How are we going to give them medicines and, and things? But it was still a, a, a war that, that, was, that was really, really, um, the women and the children of this country 120 years ago bore the brunt of it. And mm. also when they returned back to their farms, because the scorched earth um, policy, um, and this included... Um, black people and where they mm. lived and their cattle and what they had um 30,000 farms were, were burnt and completely destroyed in the then um, Orange Free State and Transvaal mm. and it, it affected everybody and there was a massive famine mm. You know, I'm sure there's listeners as well that are listening you know, to what you're sharing today and saying you know, this is my history. Because I know mm. that there's so many people who can trace their family members directly back to mm. to people who perished in the camps or maybe people who made it out. And I know last year we were looking at my husband's family and, and found his family members that had actually been in the camps. And then also, so there were, you know, one that had eight children and most of them were under the age of 10 and all of those children died. Yes. And it becomes very human to you, you know. And I know, like, for people that are listening as well, you, you listen to this and you go, well, that was my family. They were there. You know, I can directly tell you the names of my family members that were there. This is real. This is real life. And we still see this, as we said earlier on at the beginning of the show, happening today. We yes. still see this happen today. And like you said, over and over again, and it's, it's, it's a, an excellent reminder for us to realize that when there's a war or when there is this kind of reality taking place, the people who will suffer the most, even still today, even though we call it the modern age, you know, mm -hmm. you know the 21st century, are the women and children. We see this even in Central Africa today yes. where it's this consistent war zone in places like Congo and mm -hmm. we see rape as a weapon of war we see enslavement we see this and it's it's a huge reminder and I think that one of the inspiring things about Emily Hobhouse is to say you know one person regardless of whether whether people thought what they were doing was good really had it in their heart convicted in their heart to make a difference in the way that they did and that is why I also think that the National Women's Monument in Bloemfontein is such an important monument and such a huge reminder and I know that that in 1913 when it was inaugurated Emily you know, was traveling up to Bloemfontein and then her health, you know, prevented her from reaching that point. I know that that's around about the time where she met Gandhi as well, who was so yes. influential and important in our own history in South Africa. And I think that it's, it's, isn't it a, a beautiful thing, though, to think that she is celebrated in our country, her ashes being yes. there at the Women's Monument? And I think, does that leave kind of like a bit of an impression on you and, and what we should take with us when we think about her life? Absolutely. I, absolutely. I mean, she, it's, I mean, she had a very, very small funeral um, in Kensington in St. Mary's Abbot when she, when she died. And she was cremated, which was actually a very modern thing to, to do at that time. And then the family offered the ashes to South Africa. And her her best friend, um, Debbie Stain, which was the wife of President Stain, and Debbie Stain was also of Scottish or, uh, origins. Mm -hmm. I think that's why they, they connected so well, um, immediately accepted it. And Emily had the first and only um, state funeral of foreigner 
in this country. And they gave her a fantastic f- funeral. I mean, 200 were, um, girls, you know, walking with so many, uh, carrying her the ashes to the monument from, from, the, from the church. But the, the monument is something that one should see broader than just the Anglo-Boer War. Mm. Uh, it's a monument for, for women who died who died in war mm. and one should go there what what is what is actually wonderful about what they did um during the past few years they tried to put all the names of of people um who died in the camps there and a lot of lot of effort was made to find names of mm. the black women and children and as they get new their spaces open as they get new names and discover new names through research they are getting added so it's a monument that we should embrace in this country um of 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 the past and you know there was somebody said this war was neither a gentleman's war nor a white man's war mm. so many people suffer and you know we forget about things that happened in the past it's 120 years ago we don't care anymore mm. but you know, it's in our genes and it's in, in our ancestry. People really, really suffered and also celebrate the women of, of this war. You know, we, we read so much about all the generals and the fighting mm-hmm. and everything. But think back and think about if you look at the pictures of of, 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 the, of the people in that in the, in that monument. You know, and there's a wonderful um, um, connection between uh, the monument and the three central figures. Mm-hmm. This, that was a scene that Emily witnessed. It was a real scene. So you see that woman sitting there. There's a a, a boy dying on a on a um, on a lap, and another mm-hmm. woman standing behind her. And that is a scene that she witnessed in in Springfontein at the station. She she travelled past the station. She saw there were um, 500 people just dumped at the station. Hmm. And she was on her way to Warrington. And 10 days later, she came back and they were still there. And she stopped and um, she did what she could. And then she was called to a little um, shack. Hmm. Um, And there was this woman sitting and the the child was dying. And Emily ran to the commander of the camp and she said, can I have a bit of brandy? Because brandy was those days seen as medicine Hmm. to revive the child. And he said, there's none to be had. They're only for the soldiers. And as she came back, the child died. Hmm. And she said the woman was sitting there beyond tears, beyond grief. She was just looking into the distance with us another friend standing behind her. And that was a real scene that she witnessed and she mm. had the direct impact on, on designing that that three central central figures. Mm. And, and it's universal, a mother losing a child during war. Um whether it was hundred and twenty years ago, when it whether it was five hundred years ago and one whether it was last year. Mm. Um it's a universal thing. Mm. Sure, I love I love that you that you're saying that to us as well because even now, as we see and we stand on, on on standing here and looking even at Europe and saying what is happening, you know, like we hear a lot of what's happening with Ukraine and Russia, and we're reminded of what happens when war does happen yeah. and what can lie ahead, and that is that is that is something that we should take to heart and something that we should, you know, really consider. And I love that you brought that out as well, fresh eyes for us to look at that monument with. You know, not just going there to just see one thing, but to see so many universal things. And I think that that is so powerful. And, you know, I want to I wanted to say that in 2020, I think it was towards the end of 2020, I read that plans were approved for the Emily Hobhouse Museum to be established at her birthplace in the UK. And the beautiful 
wonderful plans that they've come up with to do and create this museum in her honor right where she was born and to take people through that and they say that even though it's in the UK it's really going to commemorate her time in South Africa and the impact that she had here and I think that that is actually so incredible because a hundred years or so later you know, she was once branded a traitor, now seen as a, such an important figure in history. And as someone who was an incredible, what well, we would probably say as a peace activist almost, such mm. an incredible human being. And seeing this now, you know, there's going to be an Evelyn Hobhouse Museum in the UK. And I think that that's going to be absolutely fantastic for people to go through there and still be considering her impact. And then also considering, you know, what she did and how we can take that kind of inspiration with us. I think she's a she's a perfect um, example of what we now call a whistleblower and activist for human rights, and you know, see it in that in the context of of the time. Also, you know, history isn't when we when one look at history and what was done and what an individual like her did for some other per, people, never to receive anything really back, um, uh, is. Is, is, is so unique. It's a, the perfect role model. You know, many people ask me, you know, who do you think is a, ro- is a role model? It's definitely not a celebrity. It's people yeah. like Emily Hophouse, um, Jane Goodall, people who, who really, really care, do something for other people, are, um, are absolutely uh, people who, who give without um, wanting something wanting something back. You know, Emily didn't do this to receive anything. In fact, it changed her life so completely that she, she really suffered um, of it till her dying day that she she, she took she took exception that her own country called her a, a, a traitor while she did it to protect the, the moral integrity of her country. She didn't like what her country did, you know. It was, it was, it was really, really hard for her. Uh, her last years were were hard, and she struggled with, with with financially. You know, she bought a house in South Africa that she later she built one in 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 Johannesburg in Bellevue, mm-hmm. which she later had to sell. Uh, it it wasn't easy for her. It's just just a intense moral courage. I I see Emily mm-hmm. also like Jan Goodall as people who who go against the grain, but they're not going against the grain to be rebels. They go. Yes. They they stand by their moral and ethical convictions to say, this is wrong, mm. and I'm going to do something about it. And it's also that thing that we also say, now I can't do anything. I'm just one person. Well, yes. there are so many examples of wonderful people who were just one person. Mm. Um, I think about some somebody like Harriet Tubman, who 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 say who escaped from slavery and who saved other slaves. Yeah, and you know. There are you can do you can make a difference, and um, Emily was w- one of those people. Hmm. Exactly true. I was thinking, you know, while you were talking as well, I was thinking about some of the time that I've spent with with Gandhi's family and with his granddaughter who lives in South Africa, and and, and listening to her story. To be honest with you, and mm. to I mean, obviously she's quite an older lady now, but she 
the work that she did, you know, during the uh, times in our country that were very, very difficult, the house arrest that she was under, the children that she lost that were killed, all of these things. But yet, you know, she did it because of that, like you're talking about, that that intensity of saying, I have to do something. You know, no one told me I have to do this, but it's in my heart to do it. And then one of the things I reflect on as we think about this woman's history and these contributions is spending time with Gandhi's family, but then hearing his grandchildren talk about their grandmother, Kasturba Gandhi, who we never hear about. You know, we hear about him, but we don't hear about her. And she actually died in jail here in South Africa for standing up, you know, and she delivered incredible speeches. She used to impact people's lives. It was said, you know, that when people heard her, especially women and children, that they would listen to and she could inspire them to action. She died in jail for being a peaceful protester, you know, in a time in our country where there was a lot of division. And we don't hear a lot about her story, but we hear when you spend time with, with, you know, his family, you hear them talking a lot. I was like, hey, let's talk about Mahatma Gandhi. And they were like, let's talk about Kasturba Gandhi, you know. And it's kind of like because we hear so much about one figure, we don't hear about these women, so to say, that have almost been left out of the story. And I think it's a celebration of women that we need to consistently have and to champion these stories so that, like you said, we can have positive role models. And also we as adults are inspired. We as, as you know, adult women, never mind young women, you know, children that should be hearing these stories. We ourselves are inspired to think, where's our place in the world? What should we be doing? And also, I really want to say thank you so much for being with me today. It's been so fantastic just to learn from you and to hear from you and your passion for her life and everything that you have walked through to understand her story, to hear her story, to gather her story. Thank you so much. And for your beautiful book that you wrote, tell us just really briefly about the book. And if anyone wants to know more about Emily Hobhouse, Elsa B has written an incredible book. What's it about? Well, you can, uh, the book is called um, Emily Hobhouse, Beloved Traitor. You can still buy it on um, any place like um, take a lot or loot or so and if you want the Afrikaans edition it's Emily Hopal's um, Geliefde Verreier there's also international edition um, you can just google it it's called um, that that comes from the UK it's called Emily Hopal's um, Re- uh, The Remarkable Life of Emily Hopal's um, um, yeah so any, any one of those it's called um, um, Rebel English Woman Re- Remarkable Life of Emily Hopal so yeah you can order them online or, or on any of, of the the, the bookstores that are well known. And hopefully you'll be there when the Emily Hobhouse Museum opens up in the UK, also be because this is you've really shared the story with us, but also, you know, I think that for some people it's their journey in life to find those stories and to tell them to us and to bring it back into our conscience. And some people are, are, I believe, really chosen to do that. And you have really honored her story. I've read your book and it's just sucked into the book and the story and feeling her come alive to me has been such a gift. So I want to say thank you for that. And like I say, hopefully you'll be at the Emily Hobhouse Museum waving to us all saying, yes, I'm here for the opening. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much, Elsa B. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. I'm sure you've been glued to the airwaves right now listening to Elsa B share with us about Emily's story because as much as as I'm sitting here and I'm asking the questions is as much as I'm being impacted by Emily's story and yes having been exposed to a story and read about her life and and read you know her her depth it's just so so 
incredible and inspirational to hear her story again and like i said earlier on when we started the show maybe you and your family have been directly impacted by emily's life and her story and that is is so special it's testimony to the things that we do in this life it's testimony to how we leave things behind and sometimes just like elsa b said you know emily died alone and she didn't have a lot of money today now even a hundred years later we are still celebrating her life and still thinking about her and even now more so as we look back on history we celebrate people whose lives we recognize had such an impact on others it's becoming more and more apparent to me that history is being written about people who had an impact in the lives of others no longer are we just interested in the kings and the queens and the rulers and the presidents we are interested in the people whose lives are making an impact who loved other people who did things that were self-sacrificing it's the kind of thing that humanity is looking at right now even in our world today we are looking and seeing leaders of nations and people who are standing up and putting their bodies and their lives on the line for the sake of the people they lead or that they serve and that is inspirational that is what keeps us going that is fuel for the flames and fuel for the fire when we think of emily hobhouse we see someone who did just that and we see how you know sometimes it seems like there's no profit in doing those things but there's always always a blessing you leave behind for someone else so may her life really speak to us and this is why we celebrate woman's history to celebrate the woman who did these incredible things my challenge to you over this weekend is go and discover a new heroine in history that maybe you never knew about someone maybe in christian history you know there's so many christian women who did incredible things maybe someone in our own history maybe someone in your local community who did incredible things go and discover a new woman's name with her impact and celebrate it with your family tell it to your children let's teach our daughters these stories so that they know the kind of woman that they want to be when they get older the role models we have these celebrities that we have they're not making the impacts we want to look at historical people whose lives mattered who served other people who sacrificed those are the kind of people we want to tell our children about may we do that it's been so great to be on the show with you today may you be blessed may you be celebrated and next week on the show I'm going to keep this International Women's Month going and also this International Women's Day by inviting two incredible women onto the show who are going to talk about life as a female theologian. It's going to be exciting to see you next week. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.